Day two of Broncos camp was in the books yesterday as Teddy Bridgewater took the first snaps under center. Day two recap coming your way courtesy of myself, Cody Rourke, and Sarah Bettinger on today's episode, Locked on Broncos. You are locked on Broncos, your daily Denver Broncos podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Day two of Broncos camp is in the books, and Sarah Bettinger and I are going to break it down all on today's episode of Lockdown Broncos, which is your daily Denver Broncos podcast here on the Lockdown NFL Network, your team every day. I'm Cody Rourke, host of the show, director of video content at Pro Football Network and Broncos analyst for the Lockdown NFL Network and Nine News. And Sarah's the editor over there, predominantlyorange.com, also does some great write-ups over there for NFL Mocks, and he is back to talk about the Broncos' day two recap of training camp. Fans back in attendance again the second consecutive day, braving the Colorado heat early on Man. in the morning. Sarah, we, we talked a lot about it yesterday, day one. The vibe in Dove Valley was great once again amongst the fan base, but now, mm-hmm. I mean, you get a little bit more deeper. Shells, once again, for the Broncos. They're not going to transition to pads just yet, but the offense, quarterback competition, once again, under the microscope, Teddy Bridgewater got the first snaps of the day. Sounded like he had a pretty good day. Yeah, which is great. Again, we talked about that yesterday. You know, we, you know, any any fan should want the team to win. Of course, we talked about, we touched on it yesterday that Drew Locke winning may be the best long term for the team. But ultimately, you know, there's guys that are looking to save their jobs out there, looking to, they need to save their butts a little bit this year. So if Teddy Bridgewater ends up being the guy that wins the job, so be it. Um, and and that would be good for the team. You know, if he plays well enough, if, if it's not Drew just just flat out losing the job, and it does sound like Teddy had an efficient day today. You know, he had the long pass to, to our boy TP, Tim Patrick. And so that was nice to see. But it's it's good for those guys to show progress. Every single day we want to see progress. And um, and it was good for Teddy today getting the first shot with the ones. Yeah, we saw that rotation there, getting the first snaps today with the first team. And then he and Drew, they would alternate first team reps throughout the day, split some with the second team, different offensive line units coming in. I did notice, though, that the Broncos at one point, yes, Noah Fant was rotating with the ones, but they got Eric Saubert. They also had Albert Okuwebun on me into some first team reps as well. And Teddy Huge. had a nice throw to Albert O on a crossing pattern right in front of Justin Simmons. So like mm-hmm. to see these young guys get acclimated a little bit more with this Broncos offensive line unit. We talked about Albert O. Uh, you know, I wanted to throw it to you. What type of impact do you think Albert O could potentially have for the Broncos this upcoming season, specifically behind a guy like Noah Fant, who we expect big things this season? Unfortunately for him last year, the ACL injury occurred against the Atlanta Falcons. He looks mm-hmm. great so far. He's going through training camp. He's ahead of schedule. I mean, all signs point to him being one of those key contributors week one against the New York Giants. Yeah, I, I think his impact is going to be absolutely huge. Uh, we saw it in a limited sample size last year. And, man, even just you bringing up his name brings back a great memory of us sitting there <laughs> on day three of the 2020 draft, hoping that he would you know, get picked by the Broncos. But And and we're seeing now why, or we've seen now in a small sample size why. You know, Albert o, Okuebunam has a huge catch radius, tremendous athlete, ridiculous in the open field. And what I was most impressed by from his Missouri film was just his body control in tight spaces, specifically in the red zone, near the sideline, in the back of the end zone. And what did we see? One of his touchdowns, or I can't remember if it was the only touchdown last year, but the one where he got his butt down against the Chargers in the back of yeah. the end zone. And he, he almost did it the week before or a couple weeks before against the Patriots. And, and so that's, that's one of his greatest skills is being able to use that big body 
to shield off defenders, but also to have the finesse to to make plays in the red zone. That's what he does best. That's what he's always done best. And so I think he's going to have a huge impact. Of course, we all love Noah Fant and believe that he's going to do great this season. But but Albert O, man, he's he's a rare athlete. And in a weak tight end class last year, I was yeah. surprised, especially considering this year's class was relatively weak as well. I was surprised that he lasted to day three with a 6'5", 260-pound frame and running a <laughs> sub 4'5". I mean, those are ridiculous numbers, and he was productive. So I, I think he's going to be huge for the Broncos. I think that he's going to have a major impact in the passing game. And it's great, like you said, to see Sauber getting some work out there. We've been wondering, and I think you and I have even talked about this on a previous uh, previous show that we did, who's going to be the tight end three for the team? That's That's a huge question mark this year, and it seems like he's kind of uh, inching his way towards winning that spot. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what he can maybe be able to do, specifically as a blocker, too, because the Broncos, mm-hmm. they open up in a lot of 12 personnel and 13 personnel yep. in day two of Broncos camp. And I think the identity, from what we're seeing, now this could also be just due to some makeup with mandatory minicamp. There's no contact allowed whatsoever. But we saw the running backs, even though that they're wearing a helmet and their jersey in shorts, they're running in between the tackles, right? Yeah. And there's a little bit of contact. There's run buys. That's what the coaches yep. you know, try to coach up there but they're also running to the end zone as well even after a little bit of contact uh do you think that this team offensively this upcoming season should establish their offensive identity to being able to run the football first and then maybe open up with a passing game i do think so um and especially if if drew lock is the guy that wins the job right because what what's the one really unanimously positive thing that we've heard about drew lock over the course of the offseason it's how good he did off play action Um, And that was the case also during his rookie season on that final stretch of games. And so, of course, you know, you want to be able to to use the run to set up the pass. But I think play action a lot of times can use the pass to set up the run. And the Broncos have guys, you know, especially now Javante Williams, tremendous at breaking tackles. Melvin Gordon, that kind of used to be his thing and it's kind of not anymore. So I would love to see him get back to that breaking tackles and creating yards after contact. But they have guys that can do that. And then Mike Boone as well. Saw him getting a little run with the first offense today as well. And I think we're going to see that more and more because Boone is another guy that can break some tackles and he's got speed. So I think that that's going to be huge, Cody. you got to get those guys opportunities early and often. You've got to establish that, hey, if our passing game is is struggling, we can we can rely on Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams and and Mike Boone to really keep us in games along with our defense. Yeah, well, the backs right now, they look fresh, and and this will probably be the freshest they look once the contact, once the pads get thrown on. But obviously a storyline we're going to continue to monitor this upcoming season. But we're going to get into some storylines from day two of Broncos camp coming up here in just a moment. Some of the reaction, the defensive side of the ball, the first interception so far. Yeah. We're going to get to who had that. Much more coming up here in just a moment. But before we do that, folks, I have to tell you about the other sponsor of today's episode of the show. That's our good friends over there at Built Bar. And Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar that is on the market today. Built Bars are made out of 100% milk chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. One thing I do with Built Bar, I throw it in the fridge or the freezer for about an hour. I take it out. I have a nice little bite into it, and it's the best bang for your buck, ladies and gentlemen. Not to mention Built Bars. They have nine different flavors, including the limited-time flavor. My personal favorite is double chocolate and salted caramel. I want you to try Built Bar today, though, as well. Not only are Built Bars the best-tasting protein bars on the market, they're also the healthiest for you. They contain 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. That is tremendous value for something Mm. that tastes as great as Built Bar. And I want you to get your hands on a box of Built Bar today by going to Built.com. And when you go to checkout, 
Use promo code LOCK15. That's going to get you 15% off your next order. Once again, promo code LOCK15 is going to get you 15% off your next order at Built.com. Sarah, jumping into our storylines from day two of Broncos camp. Practice will happen today for the organization, day three. And then tomorrow is the back-to-football special. All tickets at the Broncos facility are sold out and accounted for already. Mm -hmm. But practice is going to be grueling for today and heading into tomorrow. The players, they will have Sunday off and will be there up close and personal Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week physically at Broncos camp. But let's talk about some of the storylines. We talked about Teddy Bridgewater getting the first team snap so far on day two. Now, the storyline that we're seeing so far is that Teddy had a very efficient day on day two in comparison to Drew Locke. Now, this is where we're going to see the back-and-forth Twitter debates as to maybe who had the best day, right? And and our good friend Benjamin Mm -hmm. Albright had put something out there on Twitter saying that, you know, while Teddy is more efficient, a lot of his throws – are coming from the you know 10 yards or less range. He is nailing a couple of his deep to intermediate passes, but more most of his passing attempts come from the short to intermediate game there, and he's nailing those, which is why he looks more efficient versus Drew Locke, who's going to be the guy that's going to take a lot of the deeper shots. But mm-hmm. we also saw Drew, at least from what I saw, I saw him also taking some of the stuff short, taking the check down from time mm-hmm. to time. I mean, how do you really grade a quarterback competition with this? Because both quarterbacks, Drew and Teddy, Drew Locke had three touchdown passes in the red zone period, which if we know last year, the Broncos were 31st in the NFL in red zone percentage in 2020. And then Teddy Bridgewater obviously had two touchdown passes. He had two passes in the red zone period, and both of them were for touchdowns. So, I mean, how do you really boil it down to? I know we as media, we'll get into the conversation as to how we grade things, but the reality is the coaches, they take all this data on film. They go back, they rewatch it, and they see maybe if there was an error in something, like if there's an incomplete pass or a drop or an interception, was it the quarterback's fault? Was it a tip pass? Was it just the route, the wrong route run by the receiver mm-hmm. and the timing was supposed to be there? I mean, these are things that none of us know really in hindsight outside of the coaches. Yeah. So what do you make of Teddy's efficient day two? Those are great points. Those are really great points. And especially considering right now they're not in pads. They're not doing a ton of 11 on 11, at least from what we we see. The practice times are still limited, you know, pretty pretty significantly, at least compared to years past where it was two hour, or three hours. So I, I think you're spot on with that. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to say, you know, and we hear this all the time when we're talking about like, you know, how pro football focus, for example, will grade players. You know, those are great things for people to see, to be able to be like, oh, this this player who I, you know, don't get to watch on a play-by-play basis, maybe a lineman or a, a linebacker or something like that. This is how they grade. And and it's interesting to see what one person or one group of people at pro football focus thinks about that. But then the players, on the other hand, we've heard a lot of Broncos players specifically talk about, I, I don't know what they're grading off of. They don't even understand my assignment on this play. I don't know if you can necessarily judge the QB's performance quite like that, but I think there's something to that in terms of we have no idea what play was called. We have no idea yeah. what the reads are, what the progression is. Um, we have no idea if Teddy Bridgewater is completing all of his passes while you know he's, I mean, he's doing the check down every single play. We have no idea if that's his primary read, et cetera, et cetera. So what I, I want to see more 11 on 11, I, I personally can't wait for preseason reps to get these guys out against, you know, even the even the practices of the Vikings are going to be great to be able to to see some updates and hear some updates on how these guys are doing, because that's when the live bullets are flying. You know, right now you can't get hit by pass rushers. You can't really react in real time to a game situation. So this is really just a continuation of OTAs and minicamp with with the exception of a few more players being out there than may they may have otherwise been. So. I do agree with you. Everything that you just said, everything that you just touched on, it's really tough to gauge 
you know, this quarterback competition right now when we're really going off of, like you said, these guys have their helmets on and then just their jerseys and shorts. They're not, it's not real football as, as Vic Fangio has put it before. Um, but, but we'll eventually get there. And when we do, I think then we'll be able to really see how, how much Drew Locke has progressed in the mental game and, and how aggressive Teddy Bridgewater is willing to be when, you got to make a you got to make a decision like that, and your job's on the line. Absolutely. Well, you know, thankfully, Sarah, the Broncos quarterback competition is not going to be decided after two days of practice, <laughs> there. But I want to throw a couple interesting notes out there. Vic Fangio said after day two, he looked at Cortland Sutton. He says, you know, I still see a little bit of hesitancy, which I, I will be very frank with, as somebody who's torn their ACL twice, uh, and somebody who's going to be on the football field this weekend with uh, Mario <laughs> and with everybody for his yep, uh, yep. baby shower that he's got going. There is a lot of hesitancy. Yeah, I think just naturally it's the mental aspect of overcoming an ACL injury, which you see it with many players. But Cortland's still looking good at practice from what we've seen. It's just when you get into some of those team periods, you don't have those pads, right? So maybe once you yeah. get the pads, you get a little bit more comfort because you know you're going to take some contact. And look, Cortland mm -hmm. actually took a little bit of a shoulder from a linebacker today on one of his catches that he had he in traffic, uh, but got right back up, bounced up. That's what Cortland needs to find a little bit more confidence. But I want to switch things to another wide receiver we talked about yesterday was K.J. Hamler. Vic had an interesting comment in a press conference. He was asked about whether or not K.J. could potentially return punts for the team this season. And Vic said, well, you know, he possibly could, but – He's got to catch the ball first, which when I do remember last year when he was out there to field a punt return, he did drop it. Um, you know, you can't have those things happen. I wanted to ask you, for me, I have my own reservations on it because I think he could be valuable to the offense considering his injury history with soft tissue muscle injuries. Uh, do you want to see him returning punts? You know, I'd be open to it. I, I don't know that I necessarily want it. Um, I, I think that the reason for that is, is the reason for my openness, and I say that that way, <laughs> because Deontay Spencer really hasn't etched his spot in the offense yet. You know, I mean, yeah. he's had two seasons to kind of do that. And at this point now, we're talking about the Broncos having seven, eight, nine guys at a minimum that should be on NFL rosters right away. And that doesn't include the potential of breakthrough guys like Trinity Benson, you know. And and so I think I'm open to K.J. Hamler returning punts again. You got to be able to catch the ball. And And one reason why I wouldn't be for it is because we saw what not being able to catch punts can do for a guy on the mental side yes. offensively with Isaiah McKenzie. So not, not to say that Isaiah McKenzie got the yips or anything like that, but maybe. I mean, that kind of stuff affects you, and you're wondering, like, if the next time I screw up, am I going to get pulled from this other spot that I'm supposed to be in? So I think it's important for Hamler to, to concentrate on offense. But then we've also, like, you know, uh, Deontay Johnson for the Steelers, he's able to return punt. Antonio Brown did it for a long time. Um, so, so there's some players that that can do that. Um, but but at the same time, you know, I, I think that the the reason that I'm more open to it is the fact that it, it's kind of a huge year. Uh, it's a critical year for Deontay Spencer, you know, who's been the yeah. return guy, took one back for a TD last year. And uh, and I just don't know if he can't carve out a role in the offense. You've got to find somebody else that can do it. And Hamler's the most dynamic player that you have. Yeah, and I would make the argument, too, for Deontay Spencer. I don't think he's done anything to not be the punt returner either, though. So it's like, where do you go? Do you carry this many guys on your roster at wide receiver, right? Guys that can co right. contribute on special teams. But we did see when KJ Hamler went down in that Chargers game towards the end of the season, we saw Deontay Spencer start playing in his role in some offensive reps there. So he does have, I think, that dynamic to add there. But then you factor in other guys like Tyree Cleveland coming in, you yeah. Seth Williams, not to even mention Trinity Benson or Kendall Hinton right now who are still getting yeah. reps. So 
that's going to be a situation I'm going to continue to watch here at Broncos camp. One other thing, too, uh, one of the players that we talked about, we didn't hear too much of his name on day one, Tim Patrick. We heard his name a lot, mm-hmm. three times to be exact. Yeah. And he closed off Broncos practice by catching a fade pass from Teddy Bridgewater with Kyle Fuller in coverage. Timmy toe tap, touchdown, and that's that. the walk-off to end Broncos camp. Obviously, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Tim Patrick's big day? The more and more I hear about Tim Patrick, the more and more I think about, man, some teams got to really be wanting to trade for this guy, right? I mean, like he's a <laughs> he's a wide receiver one at this point. Yeah. I, I wonder if George Payton, you know, isn't thinking in his mind, like I've got to find a way to extend this guy at a below market value. Because I, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be wide receiver two for the Broncos this year. I think Patrick is kind of firmly in the, you know, in the wide receiver three as far as if Sutton is fully healthy, he's number one, he's the alpha. And then Jerry Judy, we talked about him yesterday, having a huge offseason so far. And and I think Patrick is right there at number three, but at the same time, I don't think that necessarily matters. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a sixth man in, in basketball who's able to come in and score 20 points off off the bench every game, but yeah. he's essentially a starter, plays starter snaps. So, so I think Tim Patrick is a guy that the more you hear about him, the more you think about him, the less anybody's calling George Payton to trade for him, the more I think, man, get this guy back for seven, eight, even nine million a year. And I think that sounds like a lot to some people for a guy who's been a career kind of wide receiver four or five fighting for fighting for a spot and really just had one big year. But but man, he's a huge piece of the offense, isn't he? I mean, and and he's become kind of a leader on the team as well. So I would be thinking about extending him. I I don't say that as like an overreaction to one (laughs) camp practice. But, I mean, just the more you think about it, the more plays the guy makes, the less passes he drops, which we know he had zero last year. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think that's an interesting idea for George Payton to think about. It, it really is, and I think this is a big year for Tim. And one thing that Tim had said in the offseason media scrums is that he wants to be a, a contract guy. He wanted that first-round tender. I mean, that's how he views yep. himself as a guy that has to constantly prove himself. One thing I do like, and we'll get into this a little bit, is Rod Smith's potential role at the Broncos, uh, You mm-hmm. know, even it's behind the scenes. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. But, ladies and gentlemen, before we do that, I have to remind you to check out the Locked On Today podcast, hosted by Peter Bukowski, who covers all of the major sports, bringing in the local experts from every professional sports realm you have the nba draft occurring and we have the locked on nba draft special that we had last night so be sure to check it out on the locked on podcast network youtube page or wherever you get your podcasts jumping into the fourth quarter action of today's episode locked on broncos day two in the books yesterday day three today day four tomorrow at the uc health training center sarah bedinger and myself breaking down all the action now before we came to this conclusion here, one of the things I brought up was Rod Smith, his potential role within the Broncos, even behind the scenes as it pertains to the wide receivers. He was one of the guests that appeared on Broncos Country Live, the overall live stream that they have hosted by Steve Atwater. And there was a lot of offense versus defensive talk between those guys. But <laughs> Rod Smith talked a lot about wide receiver and maybe the advice he's given some of these guys to how they can improve their game. He talked about the sizable wide receivers uh, that the Broncos have on the roster, some of the undrafted rookie free agents, but also guys like Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick, in my opinion, I think will benefit a lot from working with Rod Smith. Rod has always taken on these mentorship-type roles, dating all the way back to Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and now he's doing that with Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and the other guys on the roster. Uh, Just what was it like for you? Because you and I both grew up, we watched Rod Smith play one of the most mm-hmm. underrated wide receivers of all time, obviously an undrafted rookie free agent, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. But a lot of great insight from Rod Smith on day two of Broncos camp. He's he's just awesome. 
obviously John Elway and Terrell Davis. Everybody loved those guys back in the 90s. But Rod Smith, I'm a wide receiver guy myself. I love the wide receiver position. I love I love the the playmaker mentality. I love watching those guys play. And, and Rod Smith, frankly, has been one of my favorite Broncos ever. Um, he's one of the reasons why number 80 is one of my favorite wide receiver numbers. You know, it's just – He's, he's an all-time Bronco, and he has one of the all-time great quotes I think is so funny, and it's so true. You can't make the club in the tub. I don't I don't know if it originated with Rod, but, I mean, he certainly uh, made it prominent in Broncos country, and, and I don't think there's really anybody better that those guys could be listening listening to, frankly. I mean, he's, he's borderline Hall of Famer. In my opinion, he should be. Definitely, I mean, one of the greatest players in Broncos history, regardless of position. And and so that's a guy that when he speaks, people listen. You know, he started from the bottom and came all the way up and, and rose and, and ascended. And it was really interesting. I was watching a, a vlog from one of the 2021 undrafted rookies, Andre Mintz. And he didn't mention Rod Smith specifically, but he did mention that the Broncos have a rich tradition of bringing up undrafted players as a reason why he signed with the team. And so that's, that's really something that, again, not, it didn't originate with Rod Smith, but he's one of those guys that he kind of has set the tone for, okay, undrafted free agents. Like this is where you can get to, this is the guy that you can look up to is borderline hall of famer, ring of famer, you know, one of the greatest receivers in team history, um, arguably the best undrafted player of all time. You know, and, and that's just who Rod is. And he brings that mentality, man. He never has, he's never changed. You can hear it, talk, you know, talking to Steve Atwater. He's the same guy, so competitive yeah. um, and, and and just so funny. He's got such a, such a refreshing and honest take on things. And so I think that when those guys hear him speak to them, they know that he's not, you know, pumping them up with fluff. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to help them be the best they can be. Well, we saw a lot between the Broncos offense and defense, having that angle between Rod Smith, Steve Alwater. Let me ask you a question. And that play in question, Kyle Fuller, in my opinion, I'm a defensive guy, so I might be biased here. I think that Kyle Fuller had a clean pass breakup on Jerry Judy. Rod Smith said that's P.I. Steve Alwater said that's not P.I. Where are yeah. you at on that play? Because we both got to watch it. I know. I'm I'm pretty, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, calls my own fouls in, in pickup basketball. So I'm kind of like, a, oh, man, definitely, definitely P.I. But that one, I was like, no, nah, I I thought that Fuller made a good play. So I don't know. Of course, Judy's going to want the want the flag there. Of course, Rod Smith's going to want the flag there. But I, you know, I saw a good play by Fuller and and that's I'm sticking to that story, man. I know I love those guys talking about it, though. It's just hilarious to hear two guys who probably had the same types of arguments on the practice field now doing it in the booth, you know, calling calling practice for the Broncos themselves. It's just it's just good stuff. I loved it. Well, the first interception of practice occurred on day two, and Brett ripping through the interception. To Caden Stearns, one of the Broncos' rookie safeties that they drafted this year. Vic Fangio provided a little bit of an update. He expects Jamar Johnson and Kerry Vincent Jr. back with the team soon as they're on the COVID-19 reserve list. But now, you know, you get the first interception out of the way, right? And for a Broncos rookie guy who's learning this defense, which is very tough and complex, that's a great booster right there. I think the throw for Brett Rippon, the way that I saw it too, and I have to go back and obviously watch it again, but it looked like he was trying to hit one of the underneath crossing routes. There was traffic there with the inside backer and the trailing defensive back. And obviously there's where uh, Caden Stearns came down and made a play first interception. But the good news is Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, they have not thrown a pick yet. Yeah. So there's something on the bright side right there. But the theme of the day, though, was the Broncos red zone defense early on in practice. They dominated it, and they made it really difficult for Drew. I mean, Drew – 
was looking everywhere, but he had nowhere to go because everybody was covered. And that was due to a combination of coverage by Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Pat Sertan, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, and not to mention just a pass rush too, where the, the quarterbacks, when they have a pass rush, the guys are just going to go like this. They're going to jump up, wave their hands <laughs> in the air, but they're not going to touch him. And Vic Fangio said that is a missing ingredient about what will not be taken into consideration so far in practice because you're never going to let your quarterbacks get hit in practice. That's a big no-no uh, when it's your own team. I also think it's going to be the same thing probably when you get to uh, Vikings joint practices, but the preseason quarterbacks are free games. So we're going to see a lot more in that evaluation factor there. But in terms of the defense on day two, I mean, what did you see? I saw guys like Derek Tuska flying around. I saw Justin Sternod flying around. It was a good day for the Broncos defense too. Yeah. Those two guys you mentioned, you know, they got called out by name a couple of times on the broadcast as well, even when the the action wasn't on the, the play. Um, I saw Tedrick, Tedrick Thompson, the new safety, make a big play deep downfield against Albert Okuebenam. Almost, almost had an interception, a little bit, a little bit high over his head. And then obviously the interception by Stearns that you mentioned, and that's huge because last season the Broncos' starting safeties, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, played 100% of the snaps. You know, and obviously you'd love to see that continue right this year again, but. I just don't know how how realistic that is with a 17-game season. So yeah. I think you've got to rotate guys in, and you've got to be able to get Stearns, like a guy like Stearns or Jamar Johnson, as you mentioned, coming back hopefully in the near future from the COVID list. But a guy like Stearns has to be able to come in there and play that too-high shell and attack the football. And, and he's got to be able to do it quickly. You know, We know he's going to be expected to contribute high on on special teams, and, and I think he's going to do a great job with that. But that was something that, that – you know, as a five-star recruit coming out of the, you know, coming out of the high school ranks, coming to Texas and picking off what was it, four passes in his freshman year, that's what he's been known for, and that's what he's been supposed to be able to do all along. And so, it just hasn't hasn't kind of clicked for him these last two years at Texas. But now in Denver, I mean, you get that mojo, man. You know, as a defensive back, you get that mojo out there, and you pick one off. I'm sure you feel like you could pick off the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So, I, I hope he keeps that mojo going and. Obviously, love that you know Bridgewater and Locke haven't thrown a pick yet this training camp, uh, but but those that day's coming, right? I mean, yes. so so it, who better to be picking off passes than your rookies that that they need that confidence that they can contribute to a stellar defense in the defensive backfield. I I think we factor that into the quarterback battle as well a little bit because this is we've talked about it maybe the best defensive backfield in the entire league, right? It's certainly certainly the deepest cornerback group in the entire NFL, and so. You know, you got to take it a little bit easy on those guys. Of course, they're going to have to do it against top competition regardless of whether or not it's practice. But, I mean, those guys are vets. Those guys are good. I don't know that there's any defensive backfield in the NFL that has more plays on the ball over the course of their collective careers than than the Broncos' current group has. So um, those guys know what they're doing out there, and they're very, very good at their jobs. And um, it's evident early on. Let's just put it that way. Yes, it is. And Broncos camp will continue here today at the UCL Training Center. Day three of practice. Tomorrow will be day four. The players will be off on Sunday. They're back on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before being off Thursday of next week. We'll have you covered here. Locked on Broncos. And we'll also have you covered throughout the weekend here on the YouTube channel. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to this podcast on any audio format, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Benger, I'm going to have him back here on the show as we breakdown Broncos camp here this season, obviously throughout the season as well, but you can catch all the action on the Locked On Broncos podcast. I'm Cody Work. speaking for my good friend Sarah Bettinger. We'll see you next time.